Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Um, I'll also say that next week we're going to start a new series. Um, the title of the, that series is called Return. Um, this Wednesday, the season of Lent uh, begins. And um, in this season of Lent, it's six weeks long leading up to uh, the Easter season. Um, in this season, we are going to be looking through the Minor Prophets and looking at major themes that are found in the Minor Prophets um, around repentance and around returning to the heart of God, returning to the love of God, returning to the trust of God. And so we have all these kind of different themes that we're pulling out of the Old Testament Minor Prophets that we believe God is calling us uh, to return back to him kind of in this season uh, in rhythm of repentance that the church um, kind of participates in around the world. And so that's where we're going next um, as we prepare for Easter. So, yeah. So this morning, um, let's just open with a word of prayer, all right? Dear God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to come together and to worship you. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives, the work that you're doing in our communities. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing in Senegal and Goodell, the work that you're doing in that team there. And God, we just pray that you'd be with that team uh, this afternoon or this evening uh, where they're at, God, um, that you would continue to just bless them, that you would bless the conversations that they're having right now, that you'd bless the rest that they might be entering into right now. Um, and God, that you would lead them by your spirit. God, we are thankful that we're able to partner uh, with Goodell and that we were able to see you, you move um, around the world, that you're not just the God of America, but you're the God of the entire world. And God, we celebrate that. And we are so glad that we were able to, to praise you on all the soil of this earth, God. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And God, we pray that we would come nearer to you this morning. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we are finishing up our kind of We Will series, our series on the things that we value. And I think a lot of the, the, <laughs> the things that we have valued up, up until this point are things that we, we really value, we really walk out. And I think half of this, today's message is like we do really value and we do really walk out. And the other half, I think that we don't really know necessarily how to walk out or it's really uncomfortable or we really don't participate in a whole lot. And I could be completely wrong and like misread the room. But today we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. And so I think a lot of us engage in prayer, and I just don't know how many of us engage in the, the act in the kind of the discipline uh, that fasting is. And so this morning I want to dive into these two areas and say that as a church we want to seek God through prayer and fasting. And the biggest thing is seeking God. Prayer and fasting are the vehicles that get us there, but the biggest focus is that we, are, we want to be a church that seeks after the heart of God. And one of those ways is that we do that is through prayer, and the other way is through fasting. And so this morning I want to begin through reading um, our scripture, which comes from Matthew chapter 6. So if you guys want to turn there, I'll turn there as well. So Matthew chapter 6 is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about prayer and fasting. So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 5, and then we'll jump down to verse 16. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says this. He says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might, seem, that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into a room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jumping down to 16, he says then, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, so that their fa fasting might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that in your fasting, so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And so here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about fasting. He's talking about prayer. And if we were to read on, he'd be talking about giving and what it is to give. And he'd use a similar language. He uses kind of these, the same language of like, do it in secret, the Father will reward you. Do this practice in secret, the Father will reward you. And these things are things that come to the place of where we seek God and we seek God's heart in all things. And when we read Paul, Paul kind of gives us this command, this command that, as I've talked to many Christians, feels like it's a really impossible command, but he says that we should be a people who pray continually. And I've had people be like, how in the world do we pray continually? What does continual prayer look like? And I think that for us to think about prayer is that we have to kind of open our imagination to what prayer can look like, and I think that we need to see it as this prayer continually being kind of more simplified or reworded as to be present to God, to seek God's presence, to be in the place where God's heart is, to hear God's voice. And I think it's in that place where if we live in that place of, are we seeking God? Are we seeking to hear God's voice in our everyday walk, in our everyday activities? Then we're engaging in this thing that Paul is calling us to, to pray continually. And this this seeking God's voice or looking to hear from God, it's, it kind of has this mystery to it, right? I mean, when we talk about, I heard from God, like, very rarely is it this, like, any type of, like, audible, clear, like, sentence of a voice, right? I mean, every once in a while, sure, we might be like, boom, something hits us, and we're like, I think that, I think that was from God. But it's very mysterious, right? Like, we talk about nudges. We're like, I feel like God is just, like, nudging me to go do this thing. Or we're like, I, I sense God is saying this, and we're able to like put words to it. Or sometimes we can say that like, I just, I just have this feeling that God wants me to do this thing. There's like, there's all this mystery wrapped into like what it is to hear God's voice, what it is to be praying and to, to hear his heart for us. And in many, in other ways, we can receive like what I would call revelation. And that revelation is that piece where it's just like, I heard this like, clear word from God, and I'm supposed to go do this thing. I mean, when we think about revelation, when we think about feelings, when we think about sensing and nudging and hearing from God, I mean, as you think about even the kind of the inception of a thought, right, or a brand new idea, it's like kind of that picture of like a light bulb coming on. It was like before there was no thought, and then all of a sudden you can't explain how or why, like everything just starts to connect and boom, there's an idea, and you're like, whoa, where did that come from? We could kind of have this conversation about like brain chemistry and how like, you know, the reason why you had that thought was because your neurons fired in a certain path and you arrived at that thought and that thought. But we still don't know why the neurons chose to take that path at that moment in time for you to kind of have like that light bulb moment, right? We still don't know why we can be seeking God, hearing him out, and then all of a sudden just like have the sense that like God is near. You know, you guys with me? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like there's this weird feeling of like, this is, this is something else. Like, this didn't come 
from me. I feel like I'm hearing it, and it's coming from somewhere else. And so what I, when I, we talk about prayer, and we talk about fasting, we talk about sensing God or seeking the heart of God, I think the first thing we have to do is learn to hear from God. And it's about being aware of these like nudges and this kind of like strange mystery of how God speaks to his people. Now, we don't just take these feelings and these nudges and these senses and these revelations and say, God spoke. I'm supposed to go do this thing. Like, no, we test it. We test it out. God says, hey, test what you think you've heard from me. And so we bring what God has said, what we've sensed, felt, has been revealed, and we bring it to Scripture and we say, all right, is this true to what we know about who God is? Does this line up with the heart of the of the God that has been revealed to us in Scripture. And if it does, green light, go. If it doesn't, then we have to like go back and test it and be like, God, what is it that you're really saying? Where am I off in the sensing, feeling, trying to hear from you, seek you out? Where, where am I off in that? We're also called to go out into community and say, hey, I'm sensing this thing. Help me test it. Help me know. Is this where God is actually speaking? The other place that we kind of hear from God isn't just from these nudges and feelings and senses, but we also hear from God like directly from his word. There's been many a times where like I've been reading, have you guys been there, you've been reading the word and it's like this common thing, maybe you're at this place where like reading the word, it's just like, man, I know the word of God, I know what it's saying, I've, I have like the basic ideas run through my head and then somehow, some way, the thing that is incredibly familiar becomes brand new and unfamiliar and you're like, I've never seen it that way before. And it's in that moment that God kind of like hits you again. It kind of like slams you with this like, there's something new, there's something that I haven't seen. And so we dive into that and we're like, we kind of ask this question subconsciously, God, what are you saying here? God, what is it that you have for me? What is it that I need to see in you in this passage that I've not seen before? Where are you calling me maybe to repent? Maybe there's places where we read and we're just cut to the heart and we're like, God, whoa. You know, we're like Isaiah when the presence of God comes upon him. He's like, woe is me for I am an unclean man. I mean, maybe our experience is like that and we need to experience the forgiveness and the love and the grace of God. Maybe it's just something as simple as like, man, I, need to, I think I need to make this change. I think I've been living my life in these patterns and these ways and I come across scripture and God hits me in a new way in, in a verse that is incredibly familiar and we're like, all right, I need to change course. I think God is trying to get my attention to change my patterns and my ways. And this is what it is to kind of start to hear from God. It's a mystery. It's hard to explain. It's hard to nail down but it's something that we can discern together and talk about together in community with one another and in conversation with his word. And I believe that whenever we hear his, a word from him or we hear direction from him, we're also getting a taste of his heart. A taste of his heart for us, which is loving, which is gracious, which is kind, which is patient, which is leading us towards peace and reconciliation and restoration and so we should not be afraid to hear God's voice. We should actually be seeking it with everything that we have. And so this morning, like I said, we're going to be talking about prayer and fasting. And I believe that prayer is one of those ways that we can seek the heart of God. And so a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, um, all right, sorry, I got out of place. So yeah, so it's through prayer and fasting that we seek the heart of God. 
So one of the first things, though, about prayer and fasting is that um, maybe it's obvious, maybe it's apparent, maybe it's not, is that prayer and fasting are both incredibly physical acts. Um, a lot of times when we think about prayer and fasting, we think about them being like super spiritual acts. We're like, in prayer, I'm doing the spiritual thing. I'm doing the spiritual activity. I'm engaging with the divine through this mystery of conversation and of presence with God. And then also with fasting, we're just like, man, if someone fasts, like they're just in that upper spiritual realm, right? Like I had someone once say, Justin, I had this, I had this massive decision to make or I was yeah, I was about to interview for a job in college, and it was a big deal to me at that time. And my friend was like, Justin, when is that interview? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pray and fast during that time. Like, I'm going to fast the whole day for you and pray for that thing. And I was like, whoa, like, I don't, I don't know if it's that, like, fasting level, right? Because we're just like, that, that just, like, took it to a whole new level, right? We're just like, to pray is one thing. To fast is like, whoa, like, that's, that's just somewhere else. But, man, the, the effect on me was profound. No, I didn't get the job. I didn't get the, I didn't get the thing. And I was like devastating. He's like, man, but I like, I prayed and fast. And that's like part of it, right? Is that sometimes like we seek God out, we ask him, we put forth our request and it like, and it doesn't wash out. And we're just like, God, what are you doing there? And what was cool is that three months later, God provided an even better opportunity for me in that space. And so that's just like one personal story of prayer and fasting. But the reality is that prayer and fasting, they're not just this hyper spiritual thing. But there are these things that require bodies and that require physical acts. I mean, in many ways, if we look through the Bible, prayer is done through physical acts. Like people are kneeling, people are laying down on their face, people are raising their hands. Like these are kind of the ways that people traditionally throughout time have prayed. We even see in Jesus, Jesus goes out, he leaves his disciples, he sets aside time in the morning, he leaves early, sometimes without even letting anybody know where he's going, and he goes out to seek God. He creates physical space and separation, and he creates time and his rhythm to meet with his Father and to, and to spend time with God in prayer, to seek the heart of God. And to do that, it requires like a physical act. It's a physical act for you to separate yourself from the things that are going on in your daily rhythms. It's a physical act to, you know, even just to fold your hands and bow your head and close your eyes. I mean, that's kind of what we've done in the new, you know, in the kind of like the church today is like, this is the posture of prayer, you know? Now, sure, you can be sitting there, eyes wide open, driving your car, you can pray. It doesn't have to be this physical, like, you don't have to just assume the position of prayer and now you're praying, okay? Like, God will hear prayer and we're supposed to be praying continually anyways, which is the seeking the presence of God. But there's also this, this form of prayer, this prayer that's disciplined that says, I'm going to take time to seek out the presence of God separate from everything else that's going on in my life. And for some of us, that idea can seem really intimidating and really boring. And we can say, that seems like I'm probably going to fall asleep in that time. And the disciples, they fall asleep, Right? And in that time, Jesus kind of reprimands them. But in some ways, I'm going to stand up here today and say, if you fall asleep in prayer, it's probably not the worst thing in the world. Some of the greatest moments of sleep have been when I've started in prayer and I've allowed myself to go deeper into prayer and experience the presence of God where I've experienced full peace, full love, full joy and protection to where I was able to sleep like a little baby, like Benjamin in my arms, for real, you know. And it's okay to let yourself 
to have that permission to go to that place. I think for a lot of us, our prayer lives are kind of one to two dimensional. In many ways, I think a lot of us, we see prayer and we think about the act of prayer and we think about prayer in two ways. We think about first, we think about that prayer is this act where we need to pray for others. And that's kind of intercessory prayer is the technical term there, where we intercede for others and we have our prayer list of other people. And I believe as a church, we do this really well. We pray for one another and the needs of one another really, really well. And that's good and that's exciting, but you can do that kind of quickly, right? And then eventually you're like, well, I don't know what else to pray for. Amen. And go. And it's good that we do that. The other way that I think we also spend time in prayer is prayers for ourselves. Like we're just in this place, we're in this season of life where we have needs. And we need these met, needs to be met through some type of like divine way, whether it's wisdom or whether it's actual physical needs or whether it's a job or, or a house or whatever it is you, you, that's kind of like on your heart and on your mind, kind of creating up, you know, taking up 90% of your brain space. We, we will take that to God and pray. And that's also good. But I would say that a lot of times that's kind of where our prayer life ends. Like we pray for ourselves and like what's going on in our brain space. And then we pray for others and then we say amen and then we go about our day. And I think in that we have missed seeking the heart of God. You could be like, yeah, but Justin, I'm, I'm like seeking wisdom. I'm seeking like him to meet my needs. Like how is that not seeking the heart of God? Because I, I feel like there's a lot of seeking going on in that part of my prayer life. And that is true. There is seeking that. But what I think that needs to happen is that we need to blow our prayer lives into a place where it's incredibly multidimensional to where we actually seek the presence of our God. Where we allow ourselves and we give ourselves the permission to go into a place and rest and experience the love of Jesus wash over us where we can hear him say, you don't have to perform. Where we can hear him say, you are a child of mine. Where he can say, you are my beloved and I am well pleased. To actually like sit and wait and hear for him to say those things, to seek him and say, God, I'm, I'm seeking your love and I'm seeking your presence. And I want to hear from you that you are pleased and that you love me and that you wash my sins away. There's a place of deep rest there where we don't have to strive for anything, but we can just be. I don't know about you, but some of the most fulfilling times in my life is just when I can sit and be present to my family. Where like Rebecca and I can sit down and we're just sitting next to each other. We're not saying anything. We're just next to each other. Benjamin's playing with his trucks and like, and there's nothing else going on. We've just like set aside time and we can just like exhale. And you can sense the love between Rebecca and I. You can, we can, you know, Benjamin can sense the love of us as he plays. And there's this like place of just shalom, this place of peace. And I think that in many ways, our prayer life says we seek God is lacking that place. And I want to give us permission as a church that part of seeking God is to enter into that place and to feel like you have permission to be in that place. Because in that place is where life is. And so I think in many ways, if we don't set aside this time, if we don't do the intentional thing like Jesus does of, of waking earlier, wherever it is, and going and seeking the Father, like we miss out. We miss out on one of the greatest gifts of just being present to our Heavenly Father who loves us and who cares for us. In this space, we also have the opportunity for sin to be revealed. 
for sin to, to come cropped up in the righteousness of God because God is righteous and he is good. And in that place, he's going to reveal some kind of ugly things about us. I know that we are a church that is comfortable with silence. I know that we are a church that's comfortable by sitting and being alone. But I don't know about you, but whenever I sit and I'm alone for a long enough time, like a whole bunch of just like crazy, evil, wicked things start boiling up. And if we bring that to God in prayer, who is full of love and who is full of grace, we get to confess those things and he begins to heal those things and he begins to transform us through prayer. And so it's in this place of prayer where we can grow our prayer to say it's a time of confession, it's a time of healing, it's a time where it's not even just like where we have to bring our dirty laundry list to God and say, God, I'm so sorry for this, I'm so sorry for this. But to, to truly sit and experience the righteousness of God, of who God is and all of his goodness, and to know that that is a safe place to then bring your dirty laundry and to know that he has the ability to clean it, to restore it, and to send you out renewed. Because there is nothing like experiencing the grace of God. There's nothing like being able to come and say, I'm broken and I'm weary and I'm tired and I just can't do it, God. And God, I failed. And to have him say, I know and it's okay. And like Moses, to hear him say, I am with you wherever you go. And that is healing and restorative words to say, in the middle of our mess, our God is with us. And our God is ready to walk with us through this life. And the third place is to be able to enter into that place and pray against temptation. Because we know, we know that temptation is coming. Temptation hits us every day. But to have the courage to face temptation. When we end the Lord's Prayer, there's this prayer that says, Lord, deliver us from temptation. Deliver us from evil. And I believe that one of the things about, around that deliverance is for us to have courage to be able to take the way out when God provides it, when temptation comes. And so these are kind of three different ways that we can grow kind of the, the multi-dimensions of our prayer lives. That it doesn't just have to be pray for others, pray for ourselves, amen, but it can be sit and listen, sit and be present, sit and hear that God loves you, sit and repent, sit and be transformed, sit and be healed, be present to God in the ways that he wants to minister to you. A lot of times we see prayers this work where we are ministering to other people. We do the ministry of prayer, and that exists, and that happens, and that is good. But there is also a part of prayer where God is going to minister and do work on us and our hearts, and I don't want us to miss it. I, this is what it means for us to say that we are a church that seeks the heart of God and values it, that we would set aside time to enter into that place. To that place of prayer. There's this woman from the 14th century. Her name is the Julian of Norwich. She's a mystic. She's a woman who uh, prayed often. And what happened is that she lived in the time of the Black Plague. Everyone around her was dropping dead. Um, the clergy were some of the people that would die the quickest because they would be the ones kind of reading last rites over people. They were also catching the plague. And so she's in this place where everyone is dying. Like if you lived in this time of history and you read Revelation, you'd probably be like, the end has to be really near. Because there's this mystery that's just taking people out and we don't even know what it is. And so she's in this place. She's a woman of prayer. She's a woman of God. And she catches like some strain of the plague. And she gets this incredibly high fever. 
And in this kind of fevered place, in this place of fevered prayer, she encounters this vision of Jesus. And she records this, kind of four years later, she records her experience down. She lives through it. She comes back to full health. But in this, she kind of records her experience in in this book called The Showings of Divine Love. And so where she meets Jesus and she experiences just this incredible love and grace of Jesus. So for anyone that's out there that wants to read the mystics, uh, Julian Norwich, Showings of Divine Love, look her up. Um, It's in Old English. It's kind of hard to read. But she's got some really good stuff about the nature of prayer and kind of the seeking God and the heart of God that I want to share with us. And so she says kind of three things about prayer throughout her book, throughout her experience of her um, like fevered encounter with Jesus. And so first she says, His, the goodness of God is the highest object of prayer, and it reaches down to our lowest need. The goodness of God should be the highest object of our prayer, and it reaches down to our lowest need. I mean, we all have this need to know if we are enough, to know if we are valued, to know if we have worth, and it's in this place of the goodness of God that he reaches down into the kind of that lowest need, elemental piece of who we are, and he affirms those things. He says, I've created you, I've made you for a purpose, and I am sending you out into the world with courage and with strength, not of your own, but of mine. She then says, some of us that believe that God is almighty, check. Some of us believe that he can do everything, check. Some of us believe that he is all wise, check. And that he might do everything, check. And then she says, throws this but in there. She says, but to believe that he is all love and will do everything, there we draw back. There we draw back. And I'm with her in that. Like, I've experienced that. I'm like, yeah. God can do everything. Like I do these conceptual things, but to believe that God is all loving and to believe that he will do everything, it kind of creates a pause like, whoa. I think she's onto something here. And I think that this is what it is to seek the heart of God. And then finally she says, around temptation, she said, I, because she's complaining to him about, she's complaining to Jesus about her temptations. And she's like, Jesus, just take the temptations away. And this is what Jesus said in reply to her. He says, Thou shall not be tempest. Thou shall not be <laughs> travailed. Thou shall not be de-eased. But he said, Thou shall not be overcome. Essentially, in all of those thou's, he's saying, The temptation's not going to go away. The suffering's not going to go away. But you will overcome. And you will overcome by my strength and the courage that I'm going to give you. I think that these are starting to get at kind of this heart of what it is to seek after the heart of God in prayer, what it is for us to grow our prayer life to this multi-dimensional, multi-level, deep place where we could quickly and easily say, man, I spent an hour in prayer. I spent an hour in prayer meeting with God and walking away not tired, not depressed, but refreshed. Even if a half an hour of that prayer time was a nap. Because if you're falling asleep in prayer, my opinion is you probably needed it. That's also my opinion if you fall asleep in church. I don't assume that I'm boring. I assume that you need sleep. (laughs) That's how I deal with that, all right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. But the goal is for us to come away from prayer refreshed and encouraged. And I believe that is God's heart for us 
when we enter into prayer. And so I'm praying that God is speaking to us about prayer in this place. He's challenging us that in this place we're feeling nudges and movements and seeing the possibility of what a deeper prayer life might look like. And so now we move into this place of fasting because alongside prayer there is also this kind of ancient practice of fasting. And a lot of us is like, what is fasting and why would I ever want to do that? And we fast for a number of reasons. There's actually been a resurgence culturally around fasting. Um, there's been fasting from food that has come up recently just around the health benefits around fasting, that there are proven health benefits around kind of intermediate fasting is what they're calling it. It's kind of one of the new dietary trends is that if you intermediate fast, you can you know, burn <laughs> more fat and that you can, you can live a more healthy life. And so um, in culture and in society, this idea of fasting is actually coming pretty mainstream. Pretty mainstream, a lot of people are entering into this intermediate fasting thing. We also have entered into this place that's kind of mainstream culturally around like media fasts, right? Like there's just media around us everywhere. And we've heard people say, you know what? We're just going to fast from media. We're going to fast from our screens. We're going to take a week. We're going to take a month. You know, whatever it is, there's a lot of people for like summertime, they're like no TV all summer. We're just going to fast from TV all summer. We're going to go outside. And a lot of times what these fasts around media is that like we do it because they're distracting. And we do it so we can enter into the presence of the people around us, right? When we say we're going to fast from media, we're going to fast from our phones, we're going to fast from TV, the goal is that we could then become more present to the real lives that are around us and be able to invest more there. Now, when it comes to fasting in the Bible, it's always talking about food. It's always talking about food. The Bible never talks about fasting in any other way than about food. And I don't believe that it's that food is a distraction from God. Like nowhere is there like this command that like food is a sin unless we eat too much of it. And maybe for you that is a real thing. I don't know. But like <laughs> it's not that food is a distraction, but it's that I think that when we take away food, it's felt. Like it's felt. You go without food until like if this was the last meal you're going to eat. And I know it's ironic that like we're about to have a potluck, right? We're about to potluck after talking about fasting. So maybe you're supposed to fast after potluck. I don't know. I'm going to let God talk to you on that one. But anyways, so, but if we were to eat this last meal, if you were to skip potluck, I guarantee you by 6, 7 o'clock tonight, if not sooner, you, like you'd begin to feel that. And I don't know about you, but like hunger pain is like one of the worst. It's just like one of the most annoying pains in my, in my opinion. Like it's just like low doll nausea and I hate nausea. And it's just like this thing that's like there and it's kind of like ever present. And the thing is that we live in a society where like instant gratification is a thing and fast food's a thing, right? And so like we can satisfy this annoying, low burn nausea feeling that is hunger pain rather quickly. And I like to take care of it quicker, like sooner than later, right? Um, and I think, and I hope that, you know, I think that a lot of us would, would agree that like, man, hunger pain is just some of the worst. And so I think what fasting does is that it makes us aware that something is absent. And it asks, what are you going to fill that absence with? And I believe the answer and the purpose that fasting moves us towards is that we want to fill that absence with the presence of God. With this place where we experience his love, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, where we experience him. Now, there is a huge kind of debate among Christians around the world around, is fasting a command? Is it not a command? 
We don't know. There is a command in the Old Testament that on the Day of Atonement, the people of Israel were to fast. In the New Testament, we get no command, not even from Jesus, to fast. But what we do get today is that there's kind of an assumption that fasting will be a part of our everyday rhythm in spiritual life. He says, when you fast, just as he says, when you pray, just as he says, when you give. And so he kind of lumps this fasting in with this practice that we participate all the time in with giving and with prayer. And so I think that there's kind of this assumption that fasting is a, will be a part of the, da- of like, not daily, but of the, of the rhythm of the spiritual life to some degree. And we even see Jesus practice this discipline of fasting before he begins his ministry by entering into the desert for 40 days without food and water. Now, I would never say, you, cannot, you cannot fast without water, without divine intervention for more than three days. Okay, I would just put that disclaimer out there. So don't try and fast like completely like Jesus, um, you know, unless God is clearly doing a miracle on day four. But um, yeah, do, do, be smart in your fasting. But the question is, is um, you know, what do we fast for? Why do we fast? And what, what does this fasting look like? And if we look through the Bible, there's a number of different ways and reasons why people fast. Beginning kind of near the beginning, we have Moses, who fasts for 40 days on Mount Sinai before receiving the word of God. He's actually in God's presence for 40 days. God's giving him the, New, the Old Testament, the Torah. He's giving them the law. God, Moses is completely fulfilled in all of his physical needs because he's that near the, and in the presence of the living God. And so Moses is sustained by God for 40 days. We see David fast when um, his son has fallen ill because of his adultery through Bathsheba. And he's fasting that God would not take away the child. And again, God takes the child away. The child dies. And even in that fasting, David worships God. David, he cleans his face. He goes. He breaks the fast. And he continues on, and he continues praising God and God's goodness. And so a lot of times, we, I think in our human, in our fleshly ways, we want to enter into fasting because like, we, we see it as like this manipulation of God. We see it as this like, higher spiritual thing, right? We're like, well, if I fasted, maybe I could get what I wanted. Maybe God would actually start hearing my prayer. And I think that that's a bad reason to fast. But I think that's a lot of the reasons why we do fast, because we're human, and we want stuff, and we want things, and we want answers now. And it's good to pursue those things from God, but the ultimate pursuit of fasting is not to fast or to get what we want, but it is to be into the presence of God and to experience God's heart. We see Elijah fast after fleeing for his life and seeking God again at Mount Horeb. Elijah's incredibly depressed. He's seeking God. This is where God speaks to him in the still, quiet voice. Esther, she fasts. She fasts, and she asks the entire nation of Israel to fast with her as she decides to intercede for her people before the king. The Ninevites, they fast in repentance because Jonah shows up and tells them, hey guys, you guys are going the wrong way. They repent, and they repent with a fast. Paul, at many times in his life, fasts. And then the church throughout history has fasted. 
Like I said, we're entering into the season of Lent coming Wednesday where the church around the world is going to enter into a season of fasting for 40 days in anticipation of the resurrection. It's a season of repentance. It's a season where we decide to remove something from our lives and begin to fill it with the presence of God. And so the question is, is what posture should we take around fasting? And I think in many ways, like prayer, our posture around fasting is through a very narrow lens. And in many ways, it's kind of like a human whiny lens that's like, I'm going to go without food. A lot of times, our fasting becomes about the thing that we're giving up, and it doesn't become about the thing that we're going towards and the presence of God. There's been many times that I've been off in my fasting practices where I made too big of a deal in my own heart around the thing that I was giving up that I missed meeting with God in that 24 hours. And so it was just the 24 hours of just kind of like pointless suffering because I missed the gift that was entering into the presence of God into that place. Entering into that place where there is true rest, where there is true joy, and where there is true fulfillment. <laughs> I believe that when we enter into fasting where we are seeking God, what will often happen is that that fasting will turn into a different type of feasting. That we'll begin to feast on him and be fulfilled by him. And so there's this challenging perspective around fasting that has really helped frame it well for me. And it comes from the prophetess Anna in the New Testament. She is there near the birth of Jesus Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple. She's a widow, and she's been praying and fasting for a time. And this is what it says in Luke. It says, There's a prophetess, Anna. She was advanced in her years, and having lived with her husband seven years, from which she was a virgin, and then a widow until she was 84, she did not depart the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And that verse changed fasting for me. To see it as not just this thing that I do to manipulate God to get the thing that I want. To not just to enter into this higher spiritual place and say, well, something mysterious and grand is happening while I suffer. But to see it as an act of worship. To see it as this thing where I'm entering into this practice where I'm seeking God and I'm creating space for God to speak, for me to hear from him. For him to give life to me for him to say whatever I need the most in that place of meeting with him. And so it's from this place that I believe that we can enter into prayer and fast is when we begin to see it as this act of worship, this act of meeting with God. And so even though fasting is kind of seen as unpleasant and as difficult, there are things that fasting does that's incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. One of the things that often comes through fasting, one of the immediate fruits from fasting is that you go without food and you get kind of a little irritable, right? You get a little frustrated. I don't know if you guys know anybody that's like gets hangry, you know? Like you just go enough time and it's just like that thing that probably wouldn't have bothered you had you had a full stomach is like now driving you nuts. And the, the fruit of that fast is that like you get to see that for like it's full glory of ugliness, kind of like bubbling up inside of you. And that's kind of one of the cool things that fasting does. It, it, it gets to name the ugliness that's inside of us. But it also allows us to then turn to the loving God who's full of righteousness and grace 
and say, God, take this from me, restore me. And it's kind of a refining process. When they refine gold, they smelt it and it gets really warm and all the impurities rise to the surface and they're able to scrape that off. And fasting has that effect where all of these impurities, all of these things that are kind of deep within our souls, they get to begin to bubble up and God begins to do the work of scraping it off. And so I believe that fasting can be really, really multidimensional. I think there's a number of different ways of why we can fast. I think one is intercessory, like my friend. I think we can fast for other people. And I think that it will be powerful to other people, like it was powerful for me to be able to say, I am fasting for you for this thing. I'm not just going to pray about it, but I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek the Lord on your behalf that he would come through for you in this place just the testimony and the ministry that that is to other people. I think we fast for wisdom. Whenever we have a decision to make, and it's a big one and it's a tough one, like we fast for wisdom and guidance. But we also fast for other things. We fast for repentance. If you've ever been in bondage of sin, or there's just this sin that just constantly creeps up, or that is a pattern of sin in your life, I encourage you to fast and to seek God with repentance and to say, God, deliver me from this thing, whatever it is. If it's greed or lust, the number of men that I know that have been delivered through pornography, through fasting, is incredible. And so we fast because Jesus kind of tells the disciples sometimes, right? He's like, you know, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, we weren't able to deliver this demon out of this guy. And they're like, yeah, sometimes these demons, like, they need prayer and fasting. I kind of see the disciples going, oh. Yeah, we didn't think about that fasting part. We didn't think that deliverance could come through fasting. But in many, many ways, throughout, through some mystery in the universe and through how God works, God breaks the evil elemental spiritual forces in our world through this act of fasting. And I believe that we can fast also on behalf of others, that God would break bondage in others through fasting for them. And so this week, it's my hope that we would seek him, that we would kind of reimagine what prayer and fasting might look like. And especially as we enter into the season of Lent. Like, I'm so excited that this message comes to where, like, the church as a whole for 40 days is about to fast and seek God. And what would that look like for us to be a church that decided to enter into that fast with the church around the world and seek God in that space as well? To seek God in repentance and so that when we come to Easter, we can celebrate what God has done. To say, you know, on February 14th, I was in this place. And I decided to seek God in God's heart and his love and his presence and his peace. And I just, I just think it would be really cool for us to then reflect and to celebrate on Easter what God has done in that space of, of prayer and of fasting. I think that this is one of the kind of easy on-ramp ways that we could do this, and that we could do this together. Now, there's no pressure. I want you to hear from God. I believe that if you're going to fast, like, you need to hear from God on that. Or you need to say, God, I'm going to fast. It needs to come from within inside. Like, you can't be coerced into this thing. And so I just encourage us that, as a church, that we would actually own this value. There are lived values, and there are stated values. And I believe that 
we're kind of in the middle here when it comes to prayer and fasting, between it being a lived value and a stated value in our body and in our church. And it's my hope and it's my prayer that we would kind of cross that line and this would be a lived value of who we are here at Damascus Road, that it would be a lived value of who we are as Christians, that we would seek God in all things through prayer and fasting. So on that note, let's pray and let's feast, all right? (laughs) Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this challenge, this challenge to open our eyes to see prayer differently, to see prayer in maybe brand new ways where, and maybe, God, we don't even know what that means. We just know like that, that there's new opportunities of prayer. And God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us into those new spaces, that we would be faithful to take the space and trust that you would fill that space and that you would show up and that you would draw near and that we would be able to enter into the, the kind of this mystery space more. Or God, that you would direct us to your word and that you would hit us in familiar passages in new ways that calls us to repentance and change and growth in you, God. God, I pray whatever the means that you have, that you would grow us in you and grow us in your loving grace and presence, God. God, I pray that we would know that you are safe and that in you that there is no fear, that there is no condemnation. There is love and grace for us to grow and abound. God, I pray that we'd be a church that would grow and flourishing and that we would value seeking you in your face in all that we do. That we'd be a people that pray continually and that fasts seeking you in all things. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the name we pray, amen.